I want to start by asking us all a question here this morning. Um, what, what defines true success in your mind? What defines a successful life? What elements would need to be in place in your life that would make you think, man, my, my life's successful? Things, money, job, family, partnerships. What is it? What is it? We're all on this crazy journey called life, and it's remarkable yet crazy. In most days, you're probably on a roller coaster like me. Um, ups, downs, highs, lows, twists, turns, pains, joys, usually just in one day, right? So we're all on that journey. So what would it take for us to look back on our life or to look at our lives now and say, yeah, my, life, my life's counting for something. It makes sense. I know why I'm here. I want us to hold on to that thought. I want to read a story to us. Um, I had one of these perspective checks a few weeks ago now that literally stopped me in my tracks. I was, I was lying down reading, actually. Yeah, I know. Very, very wise, like an owl. But I was stopped in my tracks lying down like, oh, man. I, man, this is like a flashlight into my soul. So I want to context what I want to speak on through a story from one of Sean Bowles' books called The Throne Room Company. If anyone's read that, there's an incredible story within one of the chapters um, entitled The True Meaning of Success. So you're sitting comfortably, friends. I want to read us this story. Then, then we're going to go on a little bit of a journey together because I pray that your soul would be gripped like mine was and that Jesus would become the all and all in your life. That's my prayer this morning. Okay, this is entitled The True Measure of Success. Sean writes, A friend of mine had a vision of heaven where he saw the outer courts, the inner courts, and the holy of holies where Jesus stood. This friend went first into the outer courts where he encountered some really well-known ministries of the last century who had some incredible ministries of teaching, healing, and prophecy. Surprised to see them in the outer courts, he approached one of the more famous Christians who had been living in the 20th century, and he asked with genuine interest, why aren't you inside with Jesus? And the man looked at him with a smile, because I love my ministry more than I love Jesus. I spent more time ministering to people than I did ministering to the Lord. The man had no shame, though, and he was clearly grateful just to be in the company of heaven. However, my friend was saddened about his own life. This is where the penny started dropping for me. Then my friend was transported into the inner courts where he recognized a modern-day hero of the faith, and he said, why aren't you in the Holy of Holies, he inquired. This modern-day hero, he didn't take any offense by the question, I guess because he was in heaven, right? But he responded truthfully, I cared more about understanding and wisdom than I did about being with Jesus. My life revolved around an intellectual understanding of him and not about my relationship with him. Again, my friend was a little convicted, so was I at this point, and a little disheartened by what he'd heard. Finally, he was ushered into the most awesome presence of the Holy of Holies and a radiant light that emanated from Jesus. My friend could barely see because of this brilliant light in the room. Below the throne was this little frail woman holding the hand of God. Searching his memory, my friend, my friend couldn't place her anywhere among the leaders of Christendom. Then slowly he walked over to her and he discovered that her eyes were fixed on Jesus. 
Hesitating at first, he interrupted her. Rude. Doesn't say that. Will you, will you tell me who you are? Without taking her eyes off Jesus, she replied, I'm his. But how did you get into the Holy of Holies, he asked. For a split second, she took her eyes off Jesus to look at him, confused by the question. Her eyes were radiant with the power of his pleasure. It's beautiful, isn't it? I saw that penny in your eyes this morning when you were leading worship. Your eyes were radiant with the power of his pleasure. She answered, I just loved him all the days of my life. And I only had love for him. Wow, you must have had an incredible life. What kind of ministries did he, what kind of miracles did he do through you, my friend asked. She spoke soberly at this point, indicating great brokenness. Actually, he was the only thing that made my life worth living. I didn't do anything that anyone would consider profound. I just spent all my days with him because I had nothing else. He loved me and he is my miracle. Puzzled, my friend quizzed her further. Didn't you have any sort of ministry? Some sort of gifting that prepared you for this? No, she replied, I wasn't very good at anything, really. I didn't have a good voice, so I didn't sing to anyone but him. I didn't have any eloquent speech, so I didn't teach. I didn't get any prophetic words, so I didn't prophesy over him. I just loved him and those he put in my life. That's what I believe is the true meaning of success. When we want to redefine what success looks like, I just loved him, and I loved who he put in my life. I think we can boil Christianity down to that. It says in the Bible, this is the greatest thing, to love God and to love your neighbor. I just loved him and everyone he put in my life. My, my friend was amazed that someone that seemed, seemed to live such an unsuccessful ministry life was so close to Jesus in the Holy of Holies. Then Sean finishes this bit by saying, this parabolic vision actually depicts how God defines success from heaven's perspective, from heaven's point of view. So, it's quiet in here right now. And I hope that it had the same effect that it did on me because I think we can go through life thinking, what is important? What is true success? What is the meaning of life? What does success look like in my life? Is it scale? Is it numbers? Is it size? I don't think that's how God firstly defines success. So we're going to go on a journey because I found this story really provoking for me. But I equally believe that I think this dear lady depicts something of what the normal Christian life should be like. That this vision is what we all long for, surely, I, I, I want to be transparent and a bit vulnerable with you this morning, my family. I long for this. But a lot of the time, in the 17 years I've been walking with the Lord, it can feel like I've got a foot in two camps at times. It can feel like, man, I want to make something of myself. But then life becomes strange, man. God always ushers us back to himself. and says, come back. I want to recenter what true success looks like. How do you get to this place where we can hand on heart say, I'm his, I'm his. Do you know, our performance-based mentality on success will cripple our hearts, friends. It will. It will cripple our hearts. So I want to lean into that. I want to fight into that this morning. I want to look at what God defines success as. We need to first understand that he does define it from a different place. 
with different priorities. And I want to ask you, who is Lord of your life? It's Christianity 101 this morning. Who is Lord? Some might say he's my saviour, but is he your Lord? Because if you are Lord of your life, your life will look like this. I'm mine. I belong to me. But if Jesus is Lord of your life, you'll be able to get to a place where you say, and I'm his. My life is his. Warts and all, pains and joys, the whole of me is his. When we, when we make it about us, when we put ourselves on the throne of our lives, it gets weird, doesn't it? It gets stressful, driven, performance men- mindset, if you like. But when he's Lord, I want to chuck up some scriptures on the screen here. In Matthew 11, it says, Come to me all who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, often we think Jesus is just ushering us when we're having a difficult day. I think this is more who is Lord of your life. Who, who are you going to put as central in your heart? Because when we give Jesus our Lordship, when we say, man, you are everything, I'm, I'm turning to you, I'm coming to you, life, although it's difficult at times, our souls can be easy and light. Easy and light. Like that dear lady, and I didn't have a decent speaking ability, so I didn't teach. I didn't sing. If you'd have heard me, if you hear me singing, it sounds like a strangled cat, so I don't sing. You know, we're acutely aware of what we're not good at a lot of the time. But how do we get to a place when we go, man, I'm his? The Apostle Paul, Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5, he says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption into sonship through Christ Jesus, and it was all according to his pleasure and will. You've been chosen because he wanted you. So Paul is able to center himself, and he wants us, the readers, to be included in that. Say, if you're in Christ, if he has saved you, like Sarah, finish that worship, but he saved me, you're his. He chose you before he made the world. That is Bonkersville, right? Chose you before he made the world. So Paul, in this, I think you can see, man, I'm his, he chose me. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Think about that. Was that how you'd define your life? Man, I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Oh, and the life I live in the body right now, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that how you define your life? I'm dead. Jesus is in me. Jesus is in me. I'm his. And then Philippians 3. Look at this. This is, this is remarkable. This cracks me up every time I read it. I love the Bible because it's, you get everything in there. And Paul's basically in this segment, if you read it, he's like, I want you to know I, I could brag. I could say I'm kind of a big deal around here I could say that I'm not trying to say that I'm trying to say that but Paul, Paul's saying like, if, if anyone could say I'm pretty awesome Paul Paul's saying yeah, I could say that I myself have reasons to put confidence in the flesh actually I have more than anyone circumcised on the eighth day anyone else 
No. Of the people of Israel? Anyone else? No. Tribe of Benjamin? No. Hebrew of Hebrews? Not me. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the whole church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. But do you know what? Whatever were to my gains, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, who, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, junk, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul is able to get to this place in prison and in, in danger from uh, 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 the people against him. He, he's not just this religious guy that's sitting in his study reading commentaries on what went past, what went on in the past. This guy suffered loss and he's still able to get to a place where he's like, I'm his. I'm his. How, how, how do we get to this place? I'm not going to be much longer, hopefully. But how do we get to this place? I found myself asking myself this question. After walking with the lid, lid, have you met the lid? He's such a great lid. After walking with Jesus for nearly two decades now, I know what it's like. I know that the reality isn't that every morning I'm like, I'm so captivated by his love. I know that's not the reality, but we want that to be the reality. We long for that to be the reality, don't you? I do. I long for that. And the tension is, how do we live in the middle? How do we live in this tension? How do we grow in that? How do we, how do we find that place? And I, I sat there in our kitchen, looking out the window. I sat down, actually, just looking at the trees. I'm such a simple soul. I often look at the trees, like, oh, they're lovely trees. Lovely birds resting in the trees. How do I know you, Jesus? Like my coffee in my hands. I want to know you, but no, oh, one wonder who Liverpool's playing next week. I drift off. Oh, if we win there, then we'll come back. I want to love you, Jesus. Why did that person talk to me like that? Man, I wish I could do. You know how it goes. And I felt the Lord just almost go, shh. shh stop everything everything just still yourself and then he took me how do how do you fall in love with someone that you can't see with your eyes and hear with your ears I know some say I've seen Jesus that's amazing I haven't not with my naked eye I hear the audible voice of Jesus that's amazing but that's not the reality for most how do we fall in love with someone like passionately fall in love with this Savior, where we can go, I'm his. How do we do that? And I felt God take me to the story of Mary and Martha again. Familiar with that story? Let's throw it up here. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Look at that word. Feel it in your heart often? Most days, right? By all the stuff all the preparations that had to be made, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you even care? Don't you care that lazy old Mary here is just sat at your feet? 
my sister just left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. And you could imagine Jesus like, oh, I'm so sorry, I missed that. He doesn't say that. He's like, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, stressed and anxious about many things, distracted about many things. But few things are needed, actually, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen the good portion, some translations say. You can almost imagine Mary saying, Martha, you fill your boots. You crack on. You do whatever you feel you need to do. But as for me, I'm going to sit here with him. I know there's a lot to do, Martha. You've been phoning me all week. Or carry a pigeon. Carry a sheep. Whatever they used. Carry a lamb. You've been telling me. We, we know there's a lot going on in life. But you, you crack on. You get on with that. But I know I'm going to recenter my world right now with him. Because there's something about him that brings life to me. There's something about this man's teaching that is doing something to my soul. So you do whatever you need to do, Martha, but I'm going to stay here with him. Where do you start? Where do I start? I'm often like Martha. Actually, 99.9% of the time, I'm like Martha. Oh my goodness, there's so much externally. I'm like, oh, the Lord is so good. He's compassionate and kind. He's slow to anger externally but internally it's like oh my goodness who's going to help me with all this stuff and if I make mistakes I drop the shoulder and you know how do we get to a point where we recenter everything around him where Mary's able to do to say first and foremost I am firstly his that's where I'm starting everything from him I'm going to center my world around him we know this. In John 15, Jesus talks about a fruitful life flowing from where? Abiding. 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 Remaining. Staying. Stay put. Remain. Remaining. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If, a, if you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And in verse 8, it says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, Showing yourselves to be mine, to be my disciples. You know, Katie, isn't that precious earlier? Katie doesn't need to go into her workplace and go, just so you know, have you noticed my Jesus loves you t-shirt? Do you want to ask me some questions about how he loves you? No, no. She's revealing that she belongs to him just by who she is because she's abiding. I love how she's just like, look, I just need to pray every day. That's how we abide Every day, our awareness of the Lord, every day, whether we're in the bathroom, in, in the car, walking down the street, in every moment, you can be aware of his presence with you. Every single day. You know, God's plan for our lives is this fruit looks like him. You know, his plan A from the beginning was that he would transform you back into the original design, his image and likeness, that you'd reflect his beautiful son, the Lord Jesus. That's his plan for your life. And stopping anything short of that is not giving him his full rewards at the cross. If we stop short at becoming the true nature, the true version, the, the real you and me, we stop short. And, and Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness character and behavior and attitudes and thought, that's true success. Numbers, that'll all fade away. Performance, that'll all pass. 
Is my life today looking more like him? That's success. That's success. I'm realizing, for me, it's all about intimacy. I'm sure that's the same for you. It doesn't just happen. When I said how, how do we do this? It's not just like, hey, Joe, bro, can you pray for me? Can you zap me with that special stuff you have? Just so, oh, my word. I'm just like him. It doesn't just happen. There's a process and there's a place where we find this. And it's a place in secret. It's a place called the secret place. Jesus calls it the secret place or in secret in Matthew's gospel. And we talk about that here in Vine Life. You know, the secret place where it's just you and the Lord, the real you, fully naked before him. You know what I'm saying? Like your soul is fully exposed to him. He knows the depths of your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking right now. But this intimacy, this place of knowing him, gets born and cultivated and nurtured in secret. Mark 6, bless you. Mark 6, verse 30 says, The apostle gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they'd been doing and teaching. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat. Man, we haven't even had lunch today. It's so, ministry life is full on. He said to them, oh, yeah, I see how busy you are. Tell you what, why don't you get busier? He doesn't say that, does he? He says, oh, wow, yeah, it's really busy. So let's get away from all this busyness. It's counter kingdom right now. Often in our life, there's so much to do. There's so many preparations. So let's, let's not eat. Let's just get busier. Jesus is like, no, the best place that you can be is in private with me. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Get some rest. And Matthew 6, Jesus says, like, this is the Father's intention for the secret place. He says, when you pray, don't stand on the street corners like the hypocrites do. They love to be seen. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And when your Father who sees in secret, he'll reward you. Let me, let me read you something from Banning's book, Rooted on the Secret Place. He says, as you spend time with the Lord in the secret place, the things he cares about and the, the way he does things begin to rub off on you. You encounter his heart and his thoughts which in turn shape how you live and think. He rearranges your priorities and the desire to make his name famous on the earth grows in passion and focus while any desire you had to make yourself famous fades away. You learn to be motivated solely by love for him. Those who become famous in their secret place are the ones who get to make Jesus famous on the earth. The real question is not whether you're passionate in great worship settings like we had this morning with you brilliant lot. That's not the question here. The question is whether your heart is alive for love for him when you're all by yourself. This was provoking for me because this is what I want. This is what I long for. This is what I desire. That actually the sand that you see before you this morning is the sand that he sees in private. And I want to, I long that my soul would say, man, I'm his. I'm his. You know, in the secret places where we get these rewards, Jesus says, and my father will reward you. Do you know what the reward is? It's him. He's the greatest reward. He is our portion, as Psalms say. 
He is our portion. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? I'm, I'm greedy guts. I eat a lot if I'm left on my own devices. More portions? Yes, please, more. I'd like a massive portion, please. That's why I love going to the States and places like that. All you can eat? Yes, please. I want a big portion. Isn't it amazing when you can get to a place when you say, hey, let's push everything to the side. If I had nothing but I have him, I have everything. The Lord is my portion. See, in the secret place, he reveals his heart, his nature. He whispers his ways to us. And those who pursue him in secret, he whispers to. He whispers his secrets to. Like he did to me, just come sit. I want want to do something for your soul. I want to show you what success looks like, San. I want to show you what I've designed you to be like. I've designed you to be like Mary, to come and just come sit. Things get put into perspective in secret. What we worry about fades away. What is really important in life begins to come to the forefront. Whatever is going on in your life, when you're in secret with him, he can whisper to you and you get to a place where you go, Jesus is enough. Man, he satisfies everything. This has really come home to me lately. On Thursday, we got a phone call from, no, I got a text message initially from a friend in Hastings to say someone at the church that we were part of sadly died on Thursday afternoon, fell asleep, the Bible calls it, went to be with the Lord. Um, Just an incredible example. I've been thinking a lot about him over the last kind of 48 hours or so. Genuinely, again, like this story, has been a perspective check. Like, Sam, what is important in life? You know, sometimes when my little girl walks into the room and I'm trying to read the Bible and she says, will you do some colouring? I'm like, Daddy's reading. Just, I'll catch up with you. I've missed a moment of grace right there because that's important, to sit and colour with my little girl because those moments, they soon go. My friend, this guy I knew, is now in glory. Somehow, whatever that's going to be, like face to face with the one that saved his soul, And in a moment, there's another perspective check. What's important? But this is a man who lived out this stuff. When he was asked, he had terminal cancer and died of cancer in the end. When he was asked, hey, how are you doing? Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Do you know what his reply was? My body's wrecked, but my soul is good. My soul is good. You only get there in a secret place. I want to be as bold to say that. You'll only find God like that in secret first. When you know, man, he's all I've got. Even though the Psalm 73, I think, says, even though my heart may fail, God is the portion of my heart. He is the saviour of my soul. I've just found this again. Boom. Man, what is important in life? So as we kind of close things up a little bit, personally, Do you know where I'm at? I'm at this place where I'm like, man, I just want to live with a free heart. (laughs) Yeah, like that. I want to live with a free heart. I don't mean doing crazy things, as some think freedom is, like running around, blowing a trumpet, screaming freedom. Sorry, that's a bit limited in creativity, but I'm talking about freedom that says, hey, I get to a place where I know this is the real me. This is the real me. This is the me that God has designed. This is the one that Jesus purchased back at the cross. 
That's the real me. That's the freedom. That's where I want my heart to be liberated to. And we're all on a journey with that. But I know the place where I'll find that freedom is in secret with him. And then you get to play that out in public. And then it's authenticity, right? But I, I, that's where I'm at. I'm at a place where I'm like, man, I want my heart to be free. I don't want to be easily offended. I'm so easily offended. People see a, a nice, big, fat Greek veneer and think, oh, you're so friendly and warm. Yeah, I hope I am. But inside, sometimes I'm so easily offended. I'm so easily angered and irritated. I'm so proud and self-seeking. Man, what would life look like if I put you in front of me? What would life look like if we did that for one another? I don't want to be easily irritated and defensive. I don't want to be proud and self-seeking. I don't want to be worried, perpetually worried about what people think. And I want freedom. And I'm growing in ever-increasing freedom. Now, I say this carefully because genuinely, I don't want people to come up to me and say, oh, give me a hug, are you all right? It's not about that. I wanted to open myself up to us this morning and say, I want to be like this lady. I want to be like my dear friend Reg that's able to say, whatever goes on in life, he is enough. He is enough for me. I'm his. Do you know, knowing who we are and whose we are is a place where our hearts will become free. He is my miracle. He is my salvation. He is my healer. He is my peace. He's my comfort. He's my help in time of need. He's my hope. He's my rest. He's my contentment. Jesus is enough. He's enough. Can we stand together?